We are continuing our series in the book of Hebrews, a series entitled, Jesus is Better. A number of years ago, I read a news story about a nighttime security guard. He was in Russia, and he was a nighttime security guard at an elderly home. And about 1 a.m., one night, the fire alarm went off, and the security guard silenced the fire alarm. And a little bit after that, the alarm went off a second time, and he silenced it a second time. And a little bit after that, he looked out the window and he saw flames engulfing the building. And he called it in. Uh, he tried to get uh, him and somebody else were, were trying to help. And then it ended up that 62 people died in that elderly home, both residents as well as nurses. Now, I wonder if there were maybe a lot of false alarms, so to speak, before that time. Times where the alarm went off and it really was nothing. But simply put, the nighttime security guard's neglect of that fire alarm, his repeated neglect, not only endangered, but led to the death of those 62 people. The security guard didn't have to light the fire in order to endanger them. He didn't have to have and harbor hatred in his heart toward people. All he had to do was neglect and ignore that alarm. And in a similar way, Hebrews chapter 2, the passage that we're at this morning, warns against the peril of neglect. Neglecting Jesus and neglecting His great salvation. In this, this is the first warning that comes in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 1, we saw that Jesus is better. Jesus is the true and better prophet, the true and better priest, the true and better king. He is better than angels because He is the unique Son of God. But Jesus is not simply a take-it-or-leave-it offer. Like, as though somebody might say, well... I don't necessarily need what's better. I'm okay with the things that are just good. No, no, he's not a take it or leave it offer. Just as neglecting a fire alarm led to many deaths, so neglecting Jesus leads to peril. It leads to eternal punishment. And so this is a sober warning. And I want us to receive this warning from God and from His Word together this morning. So if you have your Bible open to Hebrews 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect 
such a great salvation. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Let's pray together and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge this morning that You say things in a lot of different ways, all aimed at our good and our building up in Christ. You say things that are that are soft and sweet and heartwarming and we're broken down by your kindness to us. You also say things that are warning, that, that raise a level of, of seriousness, Lord. And I, I pray you'd help us to receive those in the same spirit this morning because you are a good Father and you know what we need. Lord, thank you for being the one who is over all things. We saw a couple weeks ago that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of His power. Lord, I just thank You that anything that we might feel like is falling apart or not going well, Lord, that we could say, look, He he upholds all things by the word of His power. And what a comfort that is. I pray, Lord, that You would comfort us and I pray You would stir us up. Lord, we pray for those in our midst today that are suffering, that are sick. We just pray for healing today. We pray, Lord, for those that are just in a chronic suffering, Lord, that you would show yourself strong as our sustainer and God. Help, Lord, the things and the sufferings of this present age to lead us and fix our gaze on the glory that is to be revealed at the coming of Christ. Lord, we just lift up this morning, mothers, let's pray for these women, Lord, who work tirelessly for the good of their families. Lord, strengthen them by your grace. Draw near to them. Lord, make your power known to them. And that, Lord, in in weakness, we, we say, Jesus is my sufficiency. Lord, be their sufficiency, we pray. And Lord, as we turn to your word, help us to pay careful attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Lord, to receive this as from you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the book of Hebrews, as you may recall, was written to a fledging church, a church that was experiencing persecution. And therefore, people were thinking about turning back away from Jesus, possibly turning to Judaism. And the writer has been making this case, and it's kind of the drum beat that Jesus is better. And we saw the last two weeks how much better Jesus really is. In the first chapter alone, the writer stacks seven Old Testament passages to show us the supremacy of And the superiority of Jesus as the Son of God. But this greatness of Jesus, 
It isn't just meant to be good information. It calls for something. It calls for a response. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. Jesus has accomplished a great salvation and we must not neglect it. And so here's kind of the main idea this morning. Neglecting Jesus and His message leads to certain peril. Neglecting Jesus and His message leads to certain peril. Sometimes God in His Word, He woos us with His kindness and with His love and with His gentleness and His grace. Other times He woos us with His warnings. And both are for our good. Here He points out consequences. This is a warning. Neglecting Jesus and His message leads to certain peril. So, so we must pay much closer attention to Him and to His salvation. So, let's begin with the peril warned in verse 1. The peril warned against. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And that word, therefore, connects back to chapter 1. In light of the fact that Jesus is God. In light of the fact that He fulfills the Old Testament. In light of the fact that He's better than angels, what must we do? We must pay much closer attention to Him and the salvation He brings. And the words in verse 1, I've been really affected by this week, They're stacked. He uses the word must. And it's not just pay attention. And it's not just pay close attention. It's pay much closer attention. You've probably heard of the the diagnosis ADD. Well, that's kind of the old word. ADHD now. But ADD, Attention Deficit Disorder. It's been used to describe people. They have a a hard time focusing. They get easily distracted. Well, spiritually speaking, we are all prone to distraction. That's what the writer's pointing out. We're prone to take our eyes off of Jesus and allow other things to loom large. We're prone to take our eyes off of His great salvation. And notice, notice what the writer doesn't do. He doesn't say, well, here's a pill. Take this pill and you'll have your eyes on Jesus. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He gives us a command. This is, in fact, the first command in the book of Hebrews. This is the only command in chapter 2. Everything built up to it and flows from it. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. Whether we like that or not, this is not a flattering passage to say, hey, you're prone to distraction and you're prone to drift. But it's helpful to see that, yes, I'm prone in that way. You see, drift is not a sudden thing. 
it's gradual. It's almost imperceptible. There's no splashing or commotion in drifting. It's quiet. It's usually not fast, but slow. You know, my parents, they live on a lake. And years ago, we had a jet ski on that lake. And one time, we were taken around the lake, went jet skiing, tied it up to the dock, or thought we did. And about an hour later, we look out, and the jet ski is in the middle of the lake. We had to, I don't know, get a canoe and row out there and get the jet ski and bring it back. And it was like, how did that happen? I mean, just one moment it's there, the next moment it's not there, and it's far, far away. It was a drift. No splashing. It wasn't going fast. The, the jet ski was turned off. It just, it just drifted. And this wasn't a river. This was not a flowing river. This was, this was a lake. It just drifted. If you have love for Jesus, if you trust in Him, If you rejoice in His great salvation at the cross for you, we're told here what can happen to us. We can drift away from that. It's possible. And it can happen slowly and imperceptibly. Life gets busy. Suffering comes into your life. Stays a little longer than you had planned. Or you start to make compromises. Not big compromises, but little compromises. You linger a little bit longer with temptation before you resist it. Or you start to pay more attention to other people. People that you want, that you're attracted to, or you want their approval in your life. You want to impress them. Or you start paying a little more attention to things, shiny things funny things. And it's not that you despise Jesus or you don't think like that He's saving you. It's just He's not that interesting anymore. Perhaps you get puffed up. You start thinking a lot more of yourself, your achievements. What, what's happening? Drift. Old, old Puritan Richard Baxter He put it this way. He says, Oh, therefore, take heed to your own judgments and affections. Vanity and air will slyly insinuate and seldom come without fair pretenses. Great distempers and apostasies have usually small beginnings. Apostasy, I I mentioned a couple weeks ago, is just a a fancy theological way of talking about turning from the Lord, turning away from Him completely. And Baxter says, usually that happens with a small beginning. You know, the longer that you live, the more people that you might be able to say, hey, you know what, We we, we were believing on Christ together. We were walking together. We were singing the songs. What happened? Their love grew cold for the Savior. Their hearts, their minds became occupied with other matters. They drifted. Well, here we are today, church. And I would say, oh, Grace Covenant Church, let us not drift. 
let us not neglect the Savior. Let us not neglect His great salvation. Let us be sensible to these small beginnings as they're happening in our souls. This is the peril that is warned against. And it's why we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So this is the peril warned against. And then secondly, in verse 2, we're given a reason or an observation. We're told of the peril of neglect in the Old Testament. The peril of neglect in the Old Testament. Look at verse 2 again. It says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? In verse 2, this message declared by angels, that's a reference to the Old Testament law, also known as the Mosaic law. On Mount Sinai, when the Lord gave Moses the the law and the tablets of the testimony, it was said that that happened accompanied by angels. There's a bunch of verses, a couple of them for you. Deuteronomy 33.2, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones, that's a reference to angels, with flaming fire at his right hand. Another verse, Acts 7.53, Stephen says to the religious leaders, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So the message declared by angels that's referred to here refers to the Old Testament law. And the writer says, that law proved reliable. That is, it wasn't made up. It was really from God. And we know it was really from God because God enacted the punishments and the blessings. Every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, is what the verse says. So that is, people who refused to follow, who refused to heed what God's Word said, they suffered for it. I mean, Hebrews is like teaching us how to read the Old Testament, which is so helpful. The writer is saying, look, God held these people responsible for what He said to them. And there's a lot of punishment in the Old Testament. A plague broke out on account of the people making a golden calf. Nadab and Abihu, they were put to death when they tried to worship the Lord in their own way. The people were struck down when they grumbled and complained against the Lord. And so the writer of the Hebrews to this book is like, hey, look at what happened to them when they neglected the Lord God. And then he moves us in verse 3 and he says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And so this is the the final point and where we're going to spend most of our time. The peril of neglecting a great salvation. It says in verses 3 and 4, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. 
while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. The writer is making a comparison. The Old Testament revelation came by angels. New Testament revelation came by Jesus. He says it was declared at first by the Lord. That's that's, that's who he's referring to. Jesus declared it himself. God didn't just send someone. He didn't just send an angel or another prophet. He came himself. The one that's greater than the prophets, greater than Moses, greater than angels, he came to earth. He took on flesh. He spoke the final and full revelation of God to us. This is Jesus. And so he says, it was declared by the Lord. And then it was attested to us by those who heard. This is a reference to the apostles. They were commissioned by the risen Jesus Christ to tell people of this salvation. To bear witness And so this great salvation was attested. That word attest, it's it's like a courtroom. It's like a witness. He says, they, Jesus witnessed of himself. The apostles witnessed of himself. Look at the third witness. God also bore witness with signs and wonders and various miracles of the Holy Spirit. This is a threefold witness. Which in Jewish thinking, you needed two or three witnesses in order to enact a judgment. Well, here's a threefold witness. And so the comparison the author is making is this. Listen carefully. If people in the Old Testament were punished for neglecting God's partial revelation from God's lesser messengers, how much more punishment would we endure if we neglect God's full And final revelation from the greatest spokesman, God Himself. You see that? I mean, it's one thing to ignore a security guard. It's another thing to ignore the FBI. It's one thing to throw away some junk mail. It's another thing to throw away mail from the IRS. It's one thing to ignore that your house needs a fresh coat of paint. It's another thing to ignore the foundation cracks. You see what he's getting at? He's making a comparison from what happened. He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. Because Jesus is better, because Jesus' salvation is better, punishment for neglecting it is worse. Now we're not told in this passage what is this peril, like what if we neglect, what are, what are we seeking to escape here? But we are told elsewhere, Jesus spoke more about hell than anyone else. Hell is as real as heaven. It is eternal conscious torment. It is not a made-up thing to scare people. It is the opposite of being saved from our sins. It's bearing the wrath of God for our sins. People who either outright reject Jesus or in this passage neglect His great salvation will have no escape. 
And part of the argument in verse 2, it's leading us to read the Old Testament through this lens. To, to look, when we read the Old Testament, we should see, look, look at how often they drifted. Look at what happened when they didn't take God and His words seriously. Look, I, I mean, one moment they're following the Lord and then the next page or the next column in the Bible, they're away from Him. What happened? Oh, apostasies have small beginnings, church. It starts out small and the drift is real. You know, one of the most common objections that we hear to Christianity and the Bible is to point to the Old Testament and say, look at all those horrible things that happened in the Old Testament. Look at all those people dying. And it's like the book of Hebrews is holding up for us and saying, yes, let's look at those people dying. And then, do you want to treat this God lightly? Do you want to treat His superior revelation and Him coming Himself lightly? He To those who come to the Lord humbly, we find Him as gentle as a lamb. But to those who reject or neglect Him, we find Him as a fierce lion. Psalm 2 verse 12 puts it this way. It says, kiss the Son, lest He be angry with you, and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So kiss the Son, take refuge in Him. That's one option. Or face His wrath and perish. That's the other option. You see, the people who this letter was written to, they were facing persecution for their faith. And they were really wondering, is it really worth it like following the Lord Jesus? Because this is really hard. This is getting really difficult. Well, in chapter 1, he lifts their gaze. He lifts up Jesus Christ. And he says, yes, he's worth living for. He's so great. He's so much better. And in these opening verses of chapter 2, though, he says, well, consider the alternative. The alternative is not just missing out on the better. The alternative is perishing. Turning back from Jesus doesn't gain us anything desirable. Escaping people thinking that you're a fanatic or people that want to hurt you for being a Christian doesn't get you anything good. Neglecting Jesus and His message leads to certain peril. And so we're called to pay much closer attention to what we have heard and not to neglect this great salvation. I just want to say for a moment, that that phrase, don't let that phrase pass you by too quickly. This great, such a great salvation. It's a great salvation because it was accomplished by a great Savior, church. There is no one greater than Jesus. You know, people uh, try to buy houses that were designed by famous architects. And the thinking is, well, this famous or great architect designed this house, so now it's more desirable, it's more valuable because he designed it or she designed it. Well, Jesus is the greatest, 
And this is the salvation he has authored. He has designed. And he promises not to just be the author of it, but the finisher of this great salvation. So this is a great salvation because of the one who accomplished it. It's also a great salvation because of what it cost. The cost-benefit ratio of the salvation that Jesus did is just off the charts. Cost him everything. Cost him his life on the cross. Cost him becoming like his creation in order to save us. Cost us nothing. Free. Full salvation. The high and holy one became a man to die on the cross. So costly to him. So free to us. It's a great salvation. It's a great salvation not just because of who did it and what it costs, but it's also a great salvation because of what it saves us from. Jesus saves us from our sins, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, one day from the presence of sin. He saves us from death. He saves us from the devil. He saves us from having to bear the wrath of God in hell. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but might have eternal life. He saves us from perishing. So we don't, we don't want to neglect something that is a great salvation. It's like neglecting the greatest life preserver that could be thrown to you out in the sea. Neglecting the, the ladder of the fire escape. You neglect that to your peril. Now you may be wondering at this point, can a person lose their salvation? Well, the Bible repeatedly and emphatically says that a person who is genuinely saved cannot lose their salvation. I'll give you a few verses. There's many more, but here's just the sampling. Jesus says in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So our our salvation is made secure by Jesus. Romans 8, verse 30, it says, Those whom He justified, who He declared righteous, He also glorified. That is, bring us all the way to become like Him. So if God declares a person righteous, that's part of saving them. If He saves us, He's going to bring us all the way home and finish what he began. Another verse, 1 Peter 1.5, believers are those who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So God promises to guard us by faith. But this warning that we looked at this morning in Hebrews seems to say the opposite. It seems to imply that we can drift away and not just be in disobedience for a time or, you know, a common word is like backsliding, but we can end up perishing. That's what it seems to be. In Hebrews, I'll just go ahead and tell you, Hebrews has many such warning passages just like this. So this is not the first time we're going to encounter one of these. Some interpret this by saying, well, he must not be speaking to Christians then. 
He must be speaking to non-Christians. If it's a possibility for them to perish, he must be talking to non-Christians. But look at the passage with me. He uses the word we repeatedly. We must pay much closer attention, lest we drift away from it. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The author puts himself in the same category as the recipients. So he can't be speaking to non-Christians here. So how was this resolved? Well, the Bible teaches that a person genuinely saved cannot lose their salvation. But the Bible also teaches that not everyone who thinks they are saved is really saved. Think about the parable of the sower and the, the seed that gets sown and it springs up. Instantly springs up, but it has no root, and it withers away. We show ourselves to be saved by heeding warnings like Hebrews 2. This is, this is the response that God is after, and it's the response of a regenerated heart is, give me that life raft, and I'm going to hold on tightly to Jesus and this great salvation. I'm going to look and I'm going to pay careful attention because I don't want to be lost. Uh, scholar, biblical scholar Thomas Schreiner, he puts it, in this, puts it this way. He says, the warnings admonish them so that they will not fall away. They are like road signs that caution drivers of dangers ahead on the highway. They are written so that readers will heed the warnings and escape the threatened consequence. Parents warn their children against running in the street so that they will not be struck by a car and perish. So too, poisonous products have dramatic signs on them so that no one will ingest the poison and die. The purpose of warnings in the New Testament is redemptive and salvific. The Lord uses them as a means so that believers will escape death. So these warnings tell us to keep us away from drifting. These warnings keep us near to the Lord. They help us want to pay careful attention to the Lord Jesus and to the salvation He did on Calvary's cross. To to see, I'm united with Christ. I don't want to turn a blind eye to that. I don't want to drift away from that. To continue to go to Him for our identity, to continue to go for Him. He's the Prince of Peace. Lord, whom else shall we go? You alone hold the words of life. I I don't want to leave this Lord. And church, I, I would say similarly, when we see that we're prone to drifting, prone to neglect, it should do something in us to humble us and to sober us to what's at stake. I am capable of drifting. You are capable of drifting. And at the same time, we can be secure in our salvation. But I'm aware, I don't want to grow cold to the things of God. I don't want to grow familiar or be a professional pastor. Or I just get up here and chug it out week after week because, well, that's just what I do. No. 
I don't want to sing these songs because, well, Ed's singing and you know, other people seem to be singing, so I guess I'll sing. No. Apostasies have small beginnings. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Charles Spurgeon said about this neglect, he says, it's not if we resist it, reject it, despise it, oppose it, but if we neglect it. If a man is in business, it is not necessary that he should commit forgery in order to fail. He can fail by simply neglecting his business. If a man is sick, he need not commit suicide by taking poison. He can do it just as surely by neglecting to take proper medicines. So it is in the things of God. Neglect is as ruinous and distinct as open opposition. That's what the writer of Hebrews is warning us against. Jesus is better than angels. He came declaring this great salvation. He accomplished this salvation on our behalf. We must not neglect this great salvation. Neglecting Jesus and His message leads to certain peril. And I think what Charles Spurgeon writes is true. Like that nighttime security guard, he didn't have to light the fire in order for everyone to die. He just had to press that alarm snooze button. He didn't have to harbor hatred in his heart towards these elderly residents and the nursing staff. All he had to do was ignore the fire alarm. And so, church, this is for us what's put forward, the peril of neglect. May we pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. May we not neglect, but may we, the opposite of that is to cherish the Savior and to cherish this great salvation and to cling to what we are now in Christ and say, I don't want to drift away from that. In fact, I want to get closer to that. I want to press on. That's using Paul's language in Philippians 3. I want to press on to know the Lord and to become like Him. This is both a warning, but an encouragement for us. If I could invite the worship team to return. We're going to sing together a familiar hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And in this hymn, there's there's a line that both tells the Lord how we know, what we know about ourselves, and it also asks the Lord to help us. And the line goes like this. It says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above.
Oh, church, may we be aware of this danger. The danger of drifting, the danger of neglect. But may we not face the peril of it. May we pay much closer attention to Jesus and to His great salvation. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that in a a wonderful way today that you would use this message to encourage our assurance and stir us up, Lord, in our labors to know you and to stay close to you. Lord, that we would be sensible to what goes on in our hearts. And we would say, I I don't want to drift and I don't want to neglect. And that out of everything that we might deem great, that we would say, oh, it's a great salvation. That's what I don't want to drift away from. Help us, Lord. And I pray even today, Lord, if any have been making those small compromises, have been drifting, and they become sensible to it today, Lord, thank you. Your word is having its effect. The danger signs are are coming. The poison labels are being seen. Thank you. And I pray, Lord, it would lead us into more and more Christ-likeness, loving Christ, clinging to Christ, and making you, Lord, the, the fount of every blessing, the one that we, we don't turn away from. Lord, thank you for the passages that show us your grace and your kindness. Thank you for passages like this that warn us. Make us sensible, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.